All right, 2 Corinthians. Let's open to that, please, if you're going to stay with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And today I'm going to begin taking you through a, I want to say a new series. It's, it's not technically new. I did teach a series a couple of years ago about spiritual warfare. And uh, this is going to be a condensed version of that, but the Lord has put it on my heart to, to carry us through that again. I, th- I think there's some really important stuff in that. The spiritual battle is something that's ongoing, and it's good to be reminded of things, even if you've heard it before. We covered it previously on a Thursday, in the Thursday evening service. So I think shifting it to Sunday morning, perhaps some of you weren't able to make it for the Thursday series. Uh, hopefully this can be a help to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in talking about the, uh, the spiritual battle, the first thing we need to discuss is the battlegrounds. Now, we're going to go through various aspects of the spiritual battle. We'll talk about the battlegrounds today, the battlefield, where the battle is, is waged. And then we're going to talk about the battle plan. What, what are the devil's devices? What can we do about it? We'll talk about the battle armor and just various ways of looking, various parts of the battle. So where is the battle fought? Anytime you're fighting, right? I say anytime, let's be careful there. Most of the time, especially in history, the battleground you were fighting on was the prize you were trying to win, right? Now, I realize maybe there are other circumstances sometimes, but whoever wins the battle gets control of that land. And I hope you'll see today where the battle is being fought, and that will help us focus our attention on the battlefield and then protect it in, in the necessary way. So 2 Corinthians 10, let's begin reading at verse number 3. It says, for though we... Oh, did I die out there? Okay, let's try that again. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, this passage we're probably going to refer to several times over the next uh, however many weeks this series is going to take. So let me just point out a couple of things today and then we'll cover it more comprehensively later on. Verse number five, here's the battlegrounds imaginations, you see that at the beginning of verse 5, casting down imaginations, and at the end of verse 5, bringing into captivity every thought. So those are the two focal points for the battle. It's fought in the imagination and in the thoughts. So I'm going to, and the Bible uses these two terms, I think we can say metaphorically, kind of representatively, the, the heart and the mind. Now, imaginations and thoughts come from both places. And perhaps that's immediately obvious to you. You already know that. But I'd like to show it to you from the Bible because as we read these verses, you're going to see that imaginations can come from the the mind. It can come from the heart. But we're also going to see various things about the mind and the heart that I think can add to our understanding of the subject. So let's come to Genesis chapter 6. And by the grace of God, we're going to do a lot of turning in the Bible even though I think this is kind of an elementary type of lesson, there's nothing real deep to this, it's nevertheless good to see a lot of Scripture on it. Genesis 6 and verse number 5. 
All right, Genesis 6 and verse 5, we're reading here in the days of Noah. It says in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and then this astounding statement, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you see how all of these components come together? The imagination of the thoughts of his heart. So the heart is able to think, and then when you put all those thoughts together, it forms what we would call an imagination. So in your imagination, haven't you ever done this? You maybe daydream, and, and in your, you get lost in it sometimes. I don't know if you're like me. You, my, my imagination can run away with me. And it's almost as if my mind or my heart is creating an alternate reality. <laughs> and sometimes it's nice to get stuck there. Amen? Because the, the, the real reality isn't so great. So you just kind of trail off in your mind and start thinking if it was like this and if it was like that. And we create our own little world in our head. In verse number 5, it says, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So every time their mind or their heart ran away with them and their imagination got busy, it ended up forming some evil structure in their mind. Now we have a word or a, let's say a term that we use for it. We call it a worldview. That, that's the word that is commonly used today. Let, let's define that a little bit. A worldview is how you view the world. It's through what kind of lens do you see reality? And what the devil is going to do is try to distort your vision of, your view of reality. How does he do that? By attacking in two places, the battlefield, two places, the heart and the mind. He will try to mess you up both emotionally and intellectually. So if you think the world works like this, God works like this, people should operate like this, my home should be like that, you start off with that approach, with that broad lens through which you view the world, and if that lens is wrong or distorted, you start calling evil good and good evil. And you actually think, hey, what I, I, the things I'm enjoying in life are perfectly fine, and God's up in heaven just brokenhearted saying, you are completely missing the point. But it feels good, and it makes sense to you. But see, that's because the, the spiritual battle is fought primarily in those two places, in the heart and in the mind. Uh, you can turn over to Philippians 4, verse 4, if you don't mind. Philippians 4 and 4. I'm just going to read another verse to you to support this further. Daniel 2, verse 29 says, As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. I'm only giving you that to show you in the Bible the language is used, the thoughts came into thy mind. That's kind of an intellectual thing. So when thoughts proceed from the heart, that's more of an emotional thing, right? Your emotions produced that, that thought. When we talk about the thought structure, the, the, putting all the thoughts together, it becomes a worldview. And, and that's either the heart or the mind can do that. Philippians 4 verse 4 I want you to see both things mentioned in this verse. I, I said Philippians 4, 4. I have that in my notes, but let's start reading there. I actually want to, something down in verse 7, but let's start in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Even though the spiritual battle is raging, you can still always find something to rejoice in if you have the Lord. 
Amen. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. You folks forgive me if I pause a moment and just let that sink in because it's a beautiful thought that maybe we don't finish this lesson this morning. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the Lord interrupted our church service today and just, just transferred the church service from here up to there? Wouldn't that be wonderful in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, be absent from the body, present with the Lord, whoop, up you go. Wouldn't that be wonderful to leave this world behind and, man, I'd be happy to let him do the rest of the preaching and teaching. We'll just cast our crowns before the throne and enjoy it like that. All right, but verse 6 says, in the meantime, while we're here, be careful for how many things? Nothing. Don't, don't worry about anything. Please put that in the back of your mind. That'll be in this morning's sermon as well. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, I want, again, I want to emphasize what Paul's saying here. There's a, everything in life can be affected by prayer. Now, now, look at the verse. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. All right, God, how do you expect me to go through my life with that view, with that worldview? I have nothing to worry about. D does that mean I just don't care about it at all and I just, whatever's going to be will be and I make no effort? No. Paul says there's no need to worry because you can turn to prayer. You can turn to God in prayer and thank Him for the way things are and ask Him for help here and there. In verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your what? Hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So be, the way God has set this up, we have access to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. God does not want us overwhelmed. God likes it when He looks down and sees the peace of God ruling in your heart. But how often do we struggle to find that peace? Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace give I unto you. Well, now, that's a, that's a biblical fact. And if that's true, that would change my life quite a bit if I applied that truth consistently. So what, what's the devil going to do? He's going to get in there and make me doubt the, that Jesus could provide that peace. He's going to make me doubt that my prayers could actually bring about this kind of result. He will hinder that process and get you all stirred up in your heart and in your mind. Now, why does he focus on those two things and not something else? Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19. So God wants to keep your heart and mind. You have to avail yourself of the help he's offering. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Ye, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One simple truth I'd like to bring out from these two verses. The devil cannot possess your soul. Please understand that. Be because that was purchased with the blood of Christ. You are God's possession. So the devil cannot possess you in that sense. 
But what can the devil do? Look at 1 Corinthians 14. The devil cannot possess your soul because that belongs to God. For that matter, the body and the spirit were also purchased. They do belong to God. So the most that the devil can do, right? When you die, the body one day will be raised again. The body belongs to the Lord. It's going to be changed, a new body, right? When you die, your spirit goes to God. All of that belongs to the Lord. So what's the devil going to do? He can't get your soul. Your life is hid with Christ in God. So what he's going to try to do is make you feel as rotten and make your life as difficult as it can be until you see the Lord. It just gets you pointing in the wrong direction so that the peace of God is nowhere near your heart. That, that's his effort. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of what? Peace, as in all churches of the saints. God, verse 40, desires all things to be done decently and in order. He is not the author of confusion. How many times are we confused by our intellect or our emotions? And where does the confusion often come from? Either it's a lack of trust or a lack of understanding. Sometimes you're not going to understand everything that's happening before you. That's where faith has to step in and say, God, I don't get it. I have no idea how you're going to fix this, but I trust you. See? So the devil will fight you on that. Then sometimes you do have all the necessary information and you say, Lord, I, okay, I, I, I see it, but it's just not clicking with me. I, I, I see all the working parts, but I'm not sure what to do with all this. And then it affects the heart and the mind. I, Lord, I just don't know the next step. What do I do? So the devil, this is where he takes advantage. He steps in and he starts feeding lies. He is the father of lies, yes? He's a liar and the father of it. So anything he can do to get you to doubt what God has said, he'll step in and go, no, no, yea, hath God said, Eve, and then Eve starts the conversation and the devil says, that's not what that means. That, that's not going to happen. You shall not surely die. And he introduces a lie. Now, the devil's very subtle. He's very smart. So you know what he does? He mixes his lie with a little bit of truth. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That was true. Ye shall not surely die. That was false. So, so the devil's very crafty like that. Very crafty. He's, he, cannot, he cannot get your soul, so he attacks the heart and mind because... I'm not a sailor. Perhaps some of you could do a much better job of explaining this part. And I know that depend, it depends on the size of the sailboat or the ship. You can have you know, dozens of sails on the boat. But from what I saw, you have a, a, a two main parts to the sail. Somebody help me. There's a main sail, and, and what's the other one called? A head, head sail or something? Anybody know? Oh, good grief. I'm giving the wrong illustration in this church. Not one person knows. All right, so you have two sails, as best I, as best I can tell. And how are you going to challenge me on it? You don't know. <laughs> we have two sails. Now, as the wind blows, right, the wind is going to blow. Yes? Wind's going to blow. Now, if you want to get going in the right direction, you have to adjust the sails of that boat. And as I was researching this, again, a lot of that went over my head because it's terminology I'm not used to. But even if the wind is blowing directly into you, you can move those sails just right to actually use that wind coming at you to propel you forward at an even faster rate of speed than if the wind was behind you. 
Now, see, there's where I, I'm going to have to have faith <laughs> and not understanding. I don't get that. But they were explaining it with all the terms and, you know, the, the wind moving around the sail just grabs a hold and pulls it forward. And, okay. That tells me something. Even when life is coming full force at you and the devil's throwing everything he can at you, if you adjust your sails in the right way, it can actually propel you forward. It doesn't have to be a setback. It can be the stepping stone in the right direction. But you, you have to keep your heart and mind. You have to put a stronghold around it. And if you perhaps need to pull down some strongholds that the devil has put around it, Maybe you have a certain approach to life and you think it should be this, it should be that. And maybe you need to tear that down and cast that down and, and build up a stronghold using God's words. And that this will protect and keep your heart and mind. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please. Ephesians 4. Verse number... 13 and 14. Ephesians 4, verse 13. Ephesians 4, verse 13. Paul is discussing here the, the structure that God has given to the church. It's for our edification and several other things. In verse 13, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children so we have to grow up we have to take responsibility for how we think and how we feel that's what we can control you can't control the wind blowing it blows where it listeth wherever it wants you control how you react to it so Paul goes on to say that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every what? Wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So what, what's going to happen? That wind of bad teaching, bad doctrine, it's going to blow. Somebody's going to introduce some false version of reality, whether that's through psychology or philosophy or religion or maybe it's just some friend trying to offer advice that they love you, but it's not good advice. And you, we, as believers, need to know what to do with that wind that is trying to knock us in the wrong direction. We have to get the sails set up just right. Catch that wind and then slingshot yourself forward. Uh, take your Bible, come to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. So I've used this illustration of a sailboat. Let me stick with that for a moment here. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19. Uh, forgive me, let's begin reading in verse 18. 1 Timothy 1, 18. Paul says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Now, this warfare that he's talking about, it is of a spiritual nature. This goes with what Paul says at the end of the book, which, by the way, in 1 Timothy, you'll see this wonderful symmetry where he begins in chapter 1, he ends up in chapter 6. Then in chapter 1, war a good warfare. In chapter 6, he says, fight the good fight. And this is a spiritual battle. 
that he's referring to. So he says, pay attention. These prophecies that went before on him when Timothy was getting ordained, the other elders that are ordaining him said, Timothy, these are the challenges that you're going to face in the ministry. Here are the things that life as a minister, th these are the difficult parts. Now be careful for these things. The devil attacks like this. And the world attacks like this, and the flesh like this, and here's how you handle that. Those are the prophecies which went before. They said, we know the devil's going to attack. So brace yourself. Your heart and your mind are going to be attacked. So what do we do? Verse 19, holding faith. You need something to stabilize you because your thoughts and your emotions are not always stable. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> We, we have a tendency to just drift. And we end up doing what we feel up to doing. We only do what our limited human finite mind can comprehend as profitable. Rather than saying, God, you know better than me, even though I don't feel like it, even though in my mind I would do it differently, I'm going to do what you said. That is holding faith. I'm going to hang on to what God said. This is my faith. This, this is what I... You say, what do you believe is true? What God said. I believe what God said is true. I trust the Word of God more than my feelings. Right? I think that's a true statement. You should trust the Word of God more than your feelings. Our feelings can get all over the place. We need something to stabilize us. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now watch this. The conscience is a stabilizing factor that God built into all of humanity. So when we start to get off the right path, something inside of us just says, that, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't feel right. Now we need to be mindful of that, but that's that stabilizing thing inside of us, that, that moral detection system. The work of the law written in our hearts. And then faith is something that God reveals from outside to us. So there's an internal revelation, there's an external revelation, and it holds us where we need to be. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, you can't put your conscience away, it's going to be there, uh, having put away concerning faith, have made what? The sailboat went down. <laughs> you, you ran into rocks. It, it, it capsized. Because when it got difficult, you let go of faith. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Don't, Timothy, don't let go of faith. There's some other guys that tried it, verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Spiritual battle got them. Satan confused them. They started saying things that weren't true about God. That's blasphemy. That, friends, do you, do you see how that goes back into the verse where we started? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is a record of what God has told us about Himself. So this is a stable, valid, verifiable way that we can know the Lord is what He has told us down through history. You put that away... Man, you're on your own. And it gets tough to navigate life when it's just your intellect and your emotions. You've got to have something to stabilize. All right, T take your Bible. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me give you one more place in the Bible. 
that explains the heart and mind, and, and I think perhaps this deals a little more with the heart, but I was, as I was preparing for this, this word kind of jumped off the page. I've never understood it in this way, but this is exactly how it's used. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 and 12. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 11 and 12. He says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Now, he's not talking physically, right? I mean, the mouth is physically open because he's saying things to him, but the heart being enlarged is not a physiological problem. He doesn't need to be rushed to hospital. When he says his heart is enlarged, he's saying what's on the inside is getting bigger than what's on the outside. I, I'm, I'm burdened for you. I feel compassion for you. I care about you. Our heart is enlarged. Verse 12, ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now that word bowels, we use that in a very like medical sense. But the word bowels, as you read it in the New Testament and throughout the Bible, it speaks to, have you ever used this phrase, I got a gut feeling? That's what it's talking about. When it says, you are straightened in your own bowels, he said, your emotions, the seat of your emotion, just deep down in your gut. He says, guys, your problem is not us. Your problem is you. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. We have not hindered you. We have not made your life more difficult. That's the word straightened. This is not like rechet, straightened. This kind of straightened is spelled different. This is when you narrow things down and make life difficult. He said, don't blame the preacher. Don't blame the church. Don't blame the Bible. The reason you guys are getting sideways and life is getting weird, it's because of your own emotions. He says, guys, you got emotional. And you started making decisions based on your emotions instead of what God was telling you. And he said, now let's get back to doing it the way God said. And then he gives it in verse 14 on down to 18 about separating from the unrighteous and living the way God wants you to. But I just want you to see when you read the word bowels, that's another reference, another way of talking about the emotions, right? So come to James chapter 1. And I want to give you just a handful of verses to finish off here about the importance of the heart and mind. I think it's well established, this wasn't a difficult point to prove, that the battlefield is the heart and mind. As you read through the Bible, you'll see over and over where the devil is attacking those two spots. James 1, and let's get verse number 6. James 1 and 6. James writes, But let him ask in faith, Right, let's perhaps step back and understand verse 5. Ask for what? If any of you lack wisdom. All right. Perhaps you found yourself recently in this spot. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this particular situation. Lord, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm having, verse 2, 3, 4, I'm having tribulations. I'm having temptations. I can feel the wind blowing into my face and I don't know what to do. All right, verse 5 is that stabilizing promise. If you don't know what to do, God said, just ask. I will show you what to do every time. Now verse 6 uh, kicks in. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, back to our sailboat, like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He that wavereth, 
Holding faith one day, letting go the next. Faith, that is the Word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Are, are you with me there? So one day holding on to faith, I'm trusting God. He will fulfill His promises. I'm going to do it His way. The next day, oh man, I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. How would God be able to do that? And then we hang on to our emotions. Back and forth, back. And, oh, my soul. You're like a termite in a yo-yo. <laughs> Just up and down, up and oh, where am I going? Verse number seven, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. What a, what a heartbreaking verse. That this guy who's in one day and out the next and believe this and then don't believe that back and forth, he says, you are hindering yourself. God's not able to step in and, and offer anything to stabilize because when he does, you don't hold on to it. So he says in verse number eight, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Because on, on Sunday, well, I, I think God has it right. I think the Bible has something to offer me. But then on Monday when you're at work, well, my boss makes me angry. And then you get home, my wife just doesn't understand me. Oh, these kids of mine, oh, I love them, but oh. And the emotions just get to running back and forth and back and forth. And you become unstable. And people start to say, I don't even know you anymore. I can't figure you out. Because one day you're up, one day you're down. It's just up, you just fluctuate so much. It's, nobody can deal with that. You can't even deal with that. You got to get a bit stable. You got to hold on to something and let that direct your thinking. Come to Isaiah chapter 26. A double-minded man. Remember where the battlefield is. It's the heart and the mind. So if the, if the devil can creep in there, he will let you hang on to your Bible a little bit as long as he can divide your allegiance with something else. So one mind over here and then one over here, double-minded. And you're not quite sure, okay, which one do I employ at this time? Oh, that, that kind of life gets tough. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. The Bible says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Does that sound like something we saw in the New Testament? Right? The peace that passes all understanding? Right? Thou, God, wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose what? Mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Do you see how there is an element of intellect to it? The mind is stayed there, but there's also an element of faith. That God, I believe you're smarter than me. So I'm going to trust what you said more than what I think or how I understand things. Uh, come to Proverbs chapter 3. I'll give you a verse here that you're all familiar with. Proverbs 3 and verse number 5. Proverbs 3 and verse number 5. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Do you see the faith coming into it again? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto, the, uh, unto thine own understanding. 
Do you see in, in verse 5 the heart and the, the intellect, the understanding? There's your emotions and there's your intellect. Over and over in the Bible it puts those two things together. In verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Do you see how the devil would want to knock you off the right path? So it, it, even though he cannot get your soul, he can perhaps shipwreck your life. Does that make sense? Make you a useless, profitless Christian. You're not bringing forth fruit unto God. You're just running in circles, constantly confused, frustrated, angry, bitter. God, I just don't understand why. Folks, let, let, me, let me give you this, and then in the weeks to come, we'll explore this further. One way that you can always tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and an unclean spirit is the Holy Spirit, if there's something wrong in your life, He will point that out. But then He'll tell you how to fix it. He will say, now what are you doing that for? He'll give you a question. God uses questions all the time to make you think. Adam, where art thou? Right? First thing he asked Adam after the sin, after, after the fall, where art thou? God knew where he was, but he gives him a question to make him think. And then God doesn't leave you with the question. God will give the question, get you thinking, and then provide an answer. He will guide you into all truth. So he will say the way you're currently feeling or thinking is wrong. It's false. It's a lie. Now, there's the truth. And he'll point you to Christ. He'll point you to the Bible. See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will bring conviction so that you can make things right. An unclean spirit will also sometimes bring conviction and go, hey, that's wrong. You go, okay, what do I do about it? He said, I don't know, I don't care. I'm just telling you that's wrong. Ha, you're useless. You're, you're worthless. God can't use you. Nobody in church likes you. Your own family doesn't like you. And an unclean spirit will just pick on you and get you to the point where you hate yourself. He'll come in and say, you know what? What if this happens? What if that happens? And what if so-and-so doesn't like you? And what if the boss doesn't like you? And what if, and what if, and what if? These unclean spirits will also bring questions, but never give answers. They'll just get you chasing the what-ifs. And it'll wear you out. Wear you out. This is where, praise God, we hold on to faith. Holding faith. When I do have a question that rises, I'm going to go looking for the answer. And I have complete confidence that the Holy Spirit will do His job of guiding me into all truth. He will, verse 6, direct my path. Whichever decision I'm facing, He'll give me something. He promised to do so. Proverbs chapter 4, just flip maybe one page even, verse 23. We're going to end up on this. Proverbs 4 and verse 23. Here's a good command. Something to focus on. Verse 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence. If you were here Thursday night, we talked about the importance of that word diligence. A consistent, earnest, energetic effort. That's diligence. Keep thy heart with all diligence. How do you keep your heart? Think of this in military terms. Right? We sing a song, it's in our hymn book. Hold the fort. For I am coming, Jesus draweth near. So th think of this, your heart, right? 
That's, that's where the throne is. We want God to sit upon the throne of our heart. Now, we, we, want, we need to yield to the Holy Spirit. We want the resident to be the president, that type of thing. Now, we have to put up a, a high wall, a, a fort, right, to build a fort around it, strongholds, which can be a good thing. They can be. When Israel came into the land of Canaan, they tore down the strongholds of the Canaanites and they built up their own. That's a good thing. So, so this is how you keep your heart is, is you get some promises from God's word and you stack them all around your, your heart and your mind. And then as soon as the wind's going to blow and when the wind blows, your, the Holy Spirit in you will bring to your remembrance something that Jesus has said, something from the Bible. And what's going to happen is, is your mind will, and your heart will redirect that wind of false doctrine. That, that false line wind, if you will. He will redirect it and go, no, no, that is not the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's just your heart and mind getting all out of, out of whack. That's just a lie. You don't need to be upset about that. And actually use it to get you closer to God. Because as soon as the problem started, you begin to search the Scriptures for an answer. And in the process, learn something about the Lord. And it turns out that all things do work together for good. But you have to diligently keep your heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Alright, so I need to guard my heart, protect my heart, maintain my heart. Why? Because my adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He knows, the devil knows, that out of the heart all the issues of life flow from there. Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 7. It's not what comes into the man, but what goes out of him. That defiles the man. For out of the heart proceeds fornications, thefts, all manner of... He just talks about all the horrible things that come out of humanity's heart. He said, you got to keep this thing right. The devil knows if I can just knock that heart, that mind, off course a little bit, then everything issuing forth from that person is going to be corrupt. It's going to lead to something frustrating. Keep it with all diligence. Uh, a while back, I, was, I had the opportunity to visit a lion farm. And as we were walking past the cage, I don't know, perhaps some of you have seen these or been to one of these lion farms. They had about 40, or I think 50 lions in that massive cage. Thank God for that cage. Thank God for a fence, amen. Fences make good neighbors. <laughs> they need to be over there. I'm over here. Whew, that was... Tell you what, that was vicious. It was feeding time. They were opening those gates and tossing that in. I thought, man, praise the Lord, I'm out on this side. And, and we were walking back to the house, and one of those lions roared. I mean, full on, I'm just... I, when it did, there was my body here, and my spirit was over here. <laughs> I felt like one of those out-of-body experiences. Now, I, when I turned around, I fully expected that lion to be about two meters behind me. I turned around, and when I saw, I, I couldn't see the lion. It was so far back, it had to have been at least 40 meters back. But that roar, whoo, you know what? In that moment, when I heard that roar, I was not thinking clearly. <laughs> I felt some things. I felt scared. I felt terrified. I felt like lunch. <laughs> That's what happens when the lion lets loose and roars. 
And, and it's difficult to perceive where'd that come from. You turn around and you think it's going to be right there. And actually, it's, the problem is much farther away than you think. But the devil's going to try to make you think he's right there next to you and you're ah, about to pounce. No, no, listen, the fence is still there. You're fine. He can roar all he wants. He's on the other side of that fence. I got a fence. Got a stronghold. I'm just going to put it right there. And I'm going to trust it. I'm going to say, okay, you're over there. And what does the Bible say? Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But, but it starts with, submit myself unto God. God, I'm going to do what you said, acknowledge you in all my ways. That's my marching orders. And then when the lion roars, right? 1 Peter 5, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, steadfast in the faith. He's going to roar. The wind's going to blow. All right, I'll just adjust the sails as God tells me. On we go. All right, let's all stand. Let's stand. Father, thank you this morning that we do have your words, your exceeding great and precious promises. Father, thank you this morning that although our enemy does walk about and he does try to confuse us and get us all torn up inside, Lord, we know that you are able to stabilize us. Help us, Father, to be singularly minded, to keep our eyes only on you. And Lord, when we do, and God, you know we do get confused and emotionally turmoiled. I just, Lord, that's us. We're a mess. Help us, Lord, to hold on to this faith you've given us. Father, thank you for showing us the truth. I pray you help us to now keep our heart and uh, prepare us for what's about to be said and done in the service to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.